every group of individuals, when you put them together, there is a collective vision kind of buried in their hearts. And if you can help them articulate that, they own it, you know, and they're going to act on it. The Ethicist Corner, a new podcast brought to you by the Kegley Institute of Ethics. All right, welcome everybody to the Ethicist Corner, a podcast in which we discuss ethics in everyday life. And my guest today is David Womack, senior, senior vice president of Kaiser Permanente in Kern County, and also a member of the Kegley Institute of Ethics Board of Directors. David, welcome to the Ethicist Corner. Great. Thank you, Michael. It's wonderful to be here. So, uh, David, just to start, tell our listeners a bit about your background. Uh, where did you grow up? So I grew up in a lot of places. My family moved around as my father kept looking for jobs and advancement in his career. Um, But I went to high school in St. Louis, Missouri, in a suburb of St. Louis. So that's really where I would call home. Okay. And so you work uh, in healthcare administration and you're senior VP of Kaiser Permanente in Kern County. So um, for those who don't understand what a senior VP at Kaiser Permanente does, kind of what, what, is your, what is your work about? What is, what is the work you do? What does a day look like for you? So really my primary responsibility is to improve the quality of care of our 113,000 members that we have here in Kern County and to uh, grow membership and to ensure financial success and the longevity of the organization itself. Um, so that's what... That's what my boss says my job is. And I would agree with that 100%, of course. And I would also that say that my job is largely to um, lead and influence others to do um, really the right thing in the right way. Interesting. And I want to actually, I want to, I want to come back to that. Um, but I wanted to ask you first, how you got into healthcare administration. I know we've you know, you're, you're a member of the, the Kegley Board of Directors, so we've had a chat about this previously. I know you, you, you were in the military for some time, right? Yes, I was. I was in the Air Force, also in healthcare administration. I really consider that my first career, and now I'm in my second career in okay. civilian healthcare. Okay. So I really got into healthcare administration in the fifth grade, believe it or not, or it, at least that was where the first... Um, the first notions that eventually came together to get into this field came from, there were really two significant events um, in the fifth grade um, that changed my life and really made me become aware that there were other people in the world beyond just me. Um, One thing that happened was we moved and I was the new kid in class and um, for some reason, the teacher uh, picked a small group of us and said she wanted us to put on a Thanksgiving play um, for the rest of the class. And she put us together and she looked at me and she said, and David, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why she did that. Um, but we wrote a script. We conned our parents into making us some costumes. We rehearsed, we built a little cardboard set, and um, the teacher liked it so much that she had us go around to all the other classes in school and present our play. And I just loved 
the process of working with a group of people towards a goal and kind of helping orchestrate all these pieces along with their ideas and their input, of course, and in um, reaching having some sort of success with it. Yeah. Um, so later on, I would realize that's sort of leadership. Um, didn't know what to call it at the time, but I just, I just absolutely loved that. The other thing that happened in the fifth grade was that a missionary came to speak at our church. And he told of his work in Africa and what the living conditions were like for the families and especially the children in Africa. And I remember being so deeply moved by that, um, that, that why, why did they have to live that way when I got to live very differently? Why was I so privileged? Why did I get to you know, not worry about where dinner was coming from, where my next meal was coming from? Why did I not have to worry about a roof over my head? Why did I have to not worry about having cholera? Um, and I remember talking to my father about that and he talked about how someday I might be able to be of service to others, whether it be a missionary like that guy was, whether it be a doctor or a nurse, whether it be an engineer that helped build roads, whether it helped, helped get clean water to um, people, just all sorts of ways um, that you might be of service. I don't remember him talking about being a professor of ethics, though, Michael. I just, uh, you know, <laughs> somehow that I'm got sure left out. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are those are really fascinating answers. That there's there's a raises a number of questions for me. Um, yeah, the first yeah, so those, those things those things eventually all came together in when I discovered health administration that that I could I could lead and help at the same time, you know, so it was, a, it was a nice combination. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you mentioned earlier, you know, as you're going into that, uh, that, that, that response that, you know, part of your job is, you know, leading people to do the right thing in the right way, I believe is the way you put it. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, in your leadership role, I'm kind of really fascinated by this. Um, you know, what are some of like the, I mean, cause we can all say that, right? Not everybody does say that, first of all. So it's, it's laudable that you, you put it that way in the first place. But then there's the, act, the aspect of actually leading people in the right way, like strategies that actually help that happen. And so I'm wondering, you know, when, you, when you're leading a team, what are some of the practical ways that you actually uh, enact that, that kind of um, phrase that you're talking about there? So one thing um, I think that's really helpful is for people to understand um, their own values and the values of the organization that they're working with and where those overlap. And if there's any potential conflicts, somehow you have to come to grips with that. Mm -hmm. Most organizations today have some sort of value statements. And unfortunately, most of them, they just hang on the wall and they don't necessarily mean um, a whole lot in day-to-day -day business. One thing that I found uh, particularly effective that I've done in a couple of different situations, and I did it here when I first came to Kaiser Permanente in Kern County, was to bring my team together and to really have a discussion about that fairly early on. Um, and we had a conversation that lasted over several weeks um, 
not continuously, but broken up, of course, in different meetings, but um, a conversation about what do we want our work environment to be like? How do we want to work together? And what, um, what would we hold true and not sacrifice for the bottom line? What are those values? And we, um, we put uh, poster paper on the wall and we covered it with sticky notes and there was a bazillion ideas. And um, we took that and we crafted it down into a statement. Um, and this was the managers and leaders that I get to work with. And then we went out and had that posted, that draft statement. We posted it in the departments and had people comment on it and make edits. And we brought it back and we refined it a little bit more. And we did that a couple of different times. And we, come at, we came up with what we call our creed. And a creed is sort of a statement of what is, but it's also kind of aspirational at the same time of how you want to live. And we refer back to that all the time. And, and actually one of, the, one of the lines that came out in there was to do the right thing in the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just always really resonated with me. When you talk about the, you know, the, the process there, um, in terms of both, you know, well, first of all, kind of thinking about the values that are relevant to your team and your organization, which I think is, is a really crucial point. Um, but then also the kind of the, the process by which you arrived at that, you know, where you're, you're not just saying, okay, here are the values, like, you know, think about these over the weekend and we're going to enact these starting next week. It's, it's actually, you know, workshopping those as a collective. And I think one of the things that's always struck me is in a, in an analogous situation in teaching is the content is one thing, right? Um, and any discipline's going to have important content to learn, but the process is as important as the content. Right. Like if you're oh, you, can, absolutely. you can teach the best content in the world. And if you're not teaching it in an inclusive, dynamic way that recognizes the voices of the students, it's not going to be very impactful or effective and not retained. And I, it, it strikes me as a similar thing to the leadership aspect you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the thing about it is, is when you put those kind of questions out to people, they're going to say all those wonderful things. They're mm -hmm. going to shoot for the moon. They they want to do a good job. They want to do it in the best way possible. They want to serve their customers. They want to increase quality. That all those all those things that you would dream of, they will say. So you just capture that, and then it's it's their vision. Every I firmly believe every group of individuals, when you put them together, there is a collective vision kind of buried in their hearts, and. And if you can help them articulate that, you know, then not, they own it, you know, and they're going to act on it. Yeah, good way of putting it. Um, so, David, we're in this COVID-19 era, right? As, as we all know, it's kind of unprecedented time. You're working in a leadership position in, in, in Casa Permanente. Um, what are some of the challenges, like distinct challenges, this is presented for you and your team at this time, given the situation we're facing, and how are you, like, how are you working to respond to those challenges? So, you, you know, there's a lot of technical challenges that um, I'm sure everybody's heard about and read about in the news, such as not having enough PPE or personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. um, how are you going to deal with a potential surge of COVID-19 patients, how are you going to 
reduce um, the spread of COVID-19, um, all things that we've had to deal with in a very short period of time, or it certainly feels like a very short period of time. So one of the, one of the biggest things I think that we did right from the get-go was when we said, okay, we need to move off of our day-to-day -day, uh, cadence of working. and We need to move into a much more of an emergency response. We stopped, took a breath and said, what are our goals? What are, what are our goals here? We're not just gonna run off <laughs> in a million different directions. We need to marshal everybody's attention. I think providing that framework and then just tons of communication, having daily um, command center calls with all of our frontline leaders where we update them on situational awareness and what we're doing about different problems, where our thinking is today. It's, it's made us a very fast and transparent organization. And honestly, I think, I think we're learning a lot of things that we're going to hold on to after the crisis is done, that we're going to operate in a very different way. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's, that has been interesting in, you know, in terms of the, the type of innovation and creativity that's coming out of this, this time period um, for all of us, right, in our different areas of work. Mm -hmm. um, for us, in terms of the way we're organizing events and podcasts, for example. But also, um, I'm wondering, you know, if, is there one thing that, and maybe, maybe there's multiple things, but is there one thing that you've learned that you have in mind now that you kind of think, um, I didn't know this three weeks ago, and now I do. And I kind of wish I had, I had known this at that time, um, something right, large or small, like a new insight about leading organization or responding to this crisis. I don't know if there's anything particularly really new, but deep within me, I have, I have some new appreciation of a few things. Uh -huh. Number one is the incredible dedication of our staff who is, you know, I was in the Air Force and we used to talk about going into harm's way uh, because we were in the military. And, and I see our staff going into harm's way every single day. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of them doing it willingly with a smile on their face and saying, this is what I am here to do. This is what I was called to do. So there's a deep, deep appreciation for our caregivers there. There's also a, a real awareness to me of how much maybe that management gets in the way <laughs> of getting things done. Because when the chips are down and we're really pressed for time and we've got to do something and we got to do it now, we turn to somebody and we say, here's what we think we need done. Can you do it? And they say yes, and they go off and make it happen. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, how much how much bureaucracy can we cut out of our system and how much more effective can we be uh, going forward? And I hope we, I hope I and the rest of us learn those lessons. So, so just a final kind of question here with this kind of era that we're facing. So I know you're somebody who thinks a lot about leadership. You're kind of very thoughtful about that and, and you're in a leadership position. And I'm wondering if, you know, there are leaders that have been particularly influential for you in terms of dealing with crisis. Like, so not, I mean, obviously there's leaders that are important for us, generally speaking, but anybody you, you've known or from afar where you think, you know, they, they, they taught me something, I, I, I gleaned something from them that I kind of use in my practice as a leader. When I was 
I, I guess really when I was in the Air Force, I saw leaders deal with um, problems, issues, things, world events. Um, they could be pretty darn unsettling, you know. And from them, I I don't know if I can single out a person, mm -hmm. but I but the principles I saw work over and over again were somebody that kept a cool head. They didn't overreact. They suppressed their fears uh, long enough to think through the situation. You know, uh, I remember reading a book years ago by Colin Powell, and one of his um, leadership principles was that when everybody else is distracted, the leader has to be doubly vigilant. You know, and, and when you can see other people around you start to lose it, um, that's when that calmness, that confidence, that um, trying to see your way through the fog of what's coming next, mm -hmm. that's what's really important in that time. And to be able to communicate and to communicate absolutely transparently and honestly. There's a phrase that's used often in leadership that says, a leader's job is to define reality, um, to make it crystal clear what is the problem that we're facing, to have the inquisitiveness to ask for advice from others, and the humility to actually take the advice when when it makes sense. And uh, yeah, I think those things are really what I've seen leaders in crisis or facing a potential crisis do that seems to help, seems to create that path forward. That's really helpful. So David, this, thanks. I mean, this conversation has been really fascinating uh, on a number of levels. Um, we have a tradition in our, our podcast called the, the lightning round. We have five questions okay. that help Great. our, help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Um, so I'll just I'll go ahead and ask the first one. So the first one is uh, what was the last movie you saw and did you like it? Um, what was the name of that? Um, uh, Parasite. Um, was the last movie I saw. And at the time, I really liked it because it, it was a wonderful piece of movie making. Mm -hmm. uh, today, I think I might want something a little more cheery and light. Yes, right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I'm dipping into the comedies quite a bit these days. So fun fact for our, our audience. So David is into vintage cars. Um, not a lot, Maybe not everybody knows that. And uh, if you can say, David, what's your favorite make and model? I don't know as I could say. I appreciate um, lots of old cars. I will, I will tell you that I own a 57 and a 59 Nash Metropolitan, uh, two cars, and I own those because those are my wife's favorite make and model. Good, good answer. Good answer. Uh, so if you could have dinner with anyone, past or present, who would it be and why? Jesus Christ. And it would be... I guess it's back to that defining reality. I would, I would like to know the reality there mm -hmm. behind Jesus Christ. Yes. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite thing about living in Bakersfield? It has to be the people of Bakersfield. Um, kind, generous, uh, come together um, when the chips are down or when there's just a need. Um, and I see that right, right at this moment with um, the hospital CEOs in this town. They are a competitive group, let me tell you. 
And right now they are working together like you would not believe. Um, and that's one of the things I just love about Bakersfield. And if you had a magic wand that can make one change tomorrow in our community, what would it be? I think, I think I would wave the wand and everyone would be more kind, more gentle with one another, more understanding, and they would have a respect for science. Mm, yes, much needed, much needed. Thank you, David. Uh, it's been really, really, really fantastic. And thanks for your leadership at this time, first of all, with you know, keeping us healthy and safe and also for your leadership with the Kegley Institute over the years too. It's, it's much appreciated. Great, thank you, Michael. It's been a lot of fun. On behalf of the Kegley Institute of Ethics team, we wanna thank our guests and audience for being part of the Ethicist Corner. Please subscribe to any one of our platforms. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and iTunes podcasts. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.